0: Law Talk
1: Radio. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Law Talk Radio. I'm your guest, your host, Nick Augustine. The show is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALR PRA Incorporated agency. Law Publicist Communications is a full service public relations agency focused on law firms and service industry professionals. Law Publicist Communications is headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serves greater Chicago, Denver, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. At Law Publicist Communications, we use online and offline resources to help put you on the map and keep people talking about you and your firm. We also offer coaching and consulting and traditional practice management for all attorneys, especially attorneys starting law firms and those who find themselves in transition. Now, today's guest is Thomas J. Simeon, and he's a founding partner of Simeon & Miller, practiced personal injury litigation in Washington D.C. and he also teaches part-time at George Washington University Law School. Tom is a managing partner at his law firm where his accounting background and pre-law career experience at Pricewaterhouse is certainly an asset. In addition to other professional accolades, Tom was named one of the top 100 trial lawyers in Washington D.C. by the American Trial Lawyers Association and the website for their firm is www. LeonMiller.com dot com. Now, before we get going, we have some disclaimers to read and want to tell our callers out there that we do have a great show for you this afternoon. We invite your caller questions and counterpoint either directly at nick at alrpra.com. That's email N-I-C-K at alrpra.com with Law Talk Radio in the subject line or please call in by dialing area code 917 889 then press option one to be placed in the caller queue. Telephone number again, 917-889-9732, option one. Now, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on this show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Our programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed in our show are welcome. Law Talk Radio is produced by Law Publicist Communications, an ALR PRA incorporated agency, and Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved. Now, our subject matter for today managing a small law office requires a balance of multiple interests, personalities, and objectives. Those who take law practice management seriously are organized and methodically execute management strategy. In addition to keeping his busy calendar, Washington, D.C. personal injury trial attorney Thomas Simeon manages his law firm with a cast of dozen attorneys and staff. Tom uses some skill sets he developed uh, earlier in his career and will share those with us.
0: Some of the ideas
1: that Tom will share include, one, quarterly employee reviews, two, thanking clients at the end of their case, three, client questionnaires at the end of their case, and four, daily morning meetings and bi-weekly staff meetings. These are just a few of the the items that we'll learn about sound practice management skills and how different managers have grown their law firms, as Tom will explain. So without further ado, I'd like to say hello, and uh, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing your last name correct?
0: Yes, you've got it perfectly, Simeon.
1: Simeon, okay, Simeon. All right, so let's just get back to basics by telling me a little bit about – the day you first started law school and said, I cannot wait to go through law school and then be a managing partner at the firm. Do you remember that day, or did that day come much later?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not sure that day ever existed for me, but there definitely came a day later when I wanted to run my own firm, but it wasn't in law school. I wasn't even thinking about it at that point.
1: So uh, let's go through it. Give us a little idea of your background, because it's one something that we always like to hear about the things that are going on behind the scenes that sometimes uh, help us uh, transition and position ourselves in management positions. So just give us a roadmap, if you could.
0: Sure. I uh, I knew in high school I wanted to be a lawyer, uh, but I always, you know, just for some reason I liked history and politics and law, but I always had a biz- an interest in business as well. And so I got an accounting degree, and I worked at Price Waterhouse and it was a great way to work with some of the major businesses out there and see the controls and the systems and how well they're run. And I didn't really plan on managing my own firm someday. I went to a big firm, then went to a smaller firm. But it literally ended up, I was at some point where I was in personal injury, where you can have your own firm. And, and you know, it's not like you need to start a 300-lawyer firm. You can have a smaller firm or more manageable one on your own. And it worked out that an opening, you know, an an opportunity came out, and I had a partner who wanted to join with me. And I was always one of those people who thought, I could do it on my own. And for me, it worked out perfectly because in your intro, you said about uh, managing partner of a small firm is to be very meticulous and organized, and that's exactly what it is. I've always been a list person and very business motivated, and I'm able to combine them. When you manage a small firm, the first thing that your listeners need to understand is you're half lawyer and half business person at that time. If you go to a big firm, someone else may be bringing in the business, doing the payroll, doing the marketing, all the other administrative factors. But at a small firm, you spend a large period of time doing that, so you better enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, that's fine if you want to do just law. You probably may not want to open your own firm or at least bring someone on board to help you do that. Uh, But for me, having a business and liking business and law, this type of opportunity could not be better for me.
1: Now. Okay, sorry about that. I had a glitch with my computer. Um, So talking about the background business and law and how they all do dovetail together, how much of your time do you think now you spend doing one versus the other?
0: Honestly, I would say uh, two things. One is it's probably about 50-50, maybe 60% on business as opposed to actually practicing law. And the bigger issue, too, that people have to understand is when you are doing all the administrative things of the payroll and the staffing and the client relations and the marketing and all that, it's hard to do that and also have a litigator's lifestyle. It's hard to be out in court for three, four days or depositions or travel especially. And if you've got a lot of daily administrative things that need to be done, writing checks, uh, doing payroll, meeting new clients, doing marketing and so forth. So at our firm, what we did is I have a law partner, Uh, I manage the firm, and he took on the big case responsibility so I can avoid a litigator's lifestyle. And that's really important uh, so that I can be in the office, still have client work that I do, but the client work I do tends to be less going out of the office and doing depositions and so forth, more uh, meeting with clients, reviewing cases with other staff, things that are more conducive to management. So right off the bat, that's the important thing is that managing a firm – uh, you need to be at the firm as much as you can. You need to be available on a more daily basis. You can't be able to, you you're just not in a position to be able to check out for three, four weeks or so and do a major trial or tons of travel.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the first uh when you said that the first thing that popped in my head was um I you know this probably comes from a lot of the CLAs we hear about uh firms going the other way and winding down dissolutions and fights between partners Uh, How was that decision-making process to go towards where you're not handling all the daily uh, emergencies of a traditional litigator and never knowing really what's going to happen from time to time? Maybe that's a tough thing to work out where uh, the rest of the partners were fine with that, or was it just you and your original partner that had those uh, discussions, or how did you approach that? Because that's, I think, a very unique approach.
0: Yeah, it is. And honestly, and this is where business comes into it. We started out, we each did 50% of everything. We had cases that are in litigation. We each took 50%. Uh, And then we each took cases that were, we call them pre-litigation. They were personal injury cases, not yet gone into litigation, trying to settle them with the insurance company. And we split those up. And where we started was all the management stuff. I started doing more and more. So I took a little bit less of both the litigation and pre-litigation cases. So I still had a full caseload, but he had a few more of each to account for the work I was doing on management. And then we literally said, you know, let's run a law firm like a business. If you go to a, a business, any business, Apple, IBM, and so forth, it's not like everybody does the marketing and everybody does the product development, everybody does everything. They have departments, and some people specialize in focus. So we adopted more of that style. And I said, I will do legal issues, but the legal issues I'm going to deal with are conducive to what I do. So I'll do the management and just take that off my partner's plate. He'll do the big firm litigation, or I'm sorry, the big case litigation. Uh, he does all the specialty cases. He's up on the law and all these things more than I am. And it just worked for us because I have a business background and he doesn't. Well, we actually tried to follow a business model where we simply said, you know, specialize to a degree. I get very good at the type of things I do, and and I, you know, have a bunch of tasks that go well together. He does the same thing, and it allows perfectly. Now, we have a very good relationship. There can be egos involved, and I'm sure he and I have some arguments where, you know, he gets upset because he's got all these trials in a row and I don't. I get upset when a lot of my management things are a bunch of headaches that he may not have, Um, but in the end, if the two partners are fair with each other and they both understand where they're coming from, I think it's the most efficient way, which is why businesses do it. They have a marketing department to do that. They don't spread all these tasks out about everybody. Law firms don't always think that way. They, each partner always tries to do a little bit of everything. And uh, that may not be the best way to do because not everyone's equally good at everything.
1: That's very true. And uh, just the, the model, that's the reason that our company exists as well Um because we're doing public relations and marketing work for firms we recognize that many smaller firms don't have those resources in house and it's true where any one any a partner could elect to do some of these uh, activities but It's starting the activities and keeping them, uh, keeping momentum in them, and and that's what it really takes to get results. And whether that's a PR and marketing uh, effort or a management effort, it's really all about making a plan and working the plan. And that's something that we hear so common. And I think that that is where a lot of firms fail in practice management is they fail to carve out a sufficient business model and they fail to follow it, possibly because they don't really know what the right business model is. Uh, have you talked to other people who said, uh, Tom, I'd really like to do that, but I don't have the business background you have? Uh, and if that were the case, what would you suggest to them?
0: I tell you, two things. I mean, I have talked to a lot of people who want to start their firm and they realize I did it. And I'll go have lunch with them. and I'll say, look, here's some things you need to do and consider and you know, learn from my mistakes type thing or the things that I've learned through the years to do it. Um, but at the end... You know, there's a running joke, and I know at least among the lawyers I've talked to and so forth, this is lawyers are just bad business people. Uh, When you go to law school, if you don't have a business background, you're not going to get in law school. They don't really teach you any of how to run a practice, anything of that nature. Um, So, what I tell people is you just got to think differently. I mean, you know, you're a lawyer and you're thinking law, but in business, read the business books, learn from me, learn from other people. Um, But there's really no way to do it other than to get that business skills. And think efficiency-wise versus just the law way of doing it, which is, again, cannot always be that efficient. And for us, like I said, the number one advice I would tell people to do is the book out, um, The E-Myth Revisited. Have you ever heard that book?
1: I have, and uh, our frequent guest, Jim Thompson, who talks about attorney marketing, uh, speaks quite highly of the E-Myth series.
0: Yeah, it's great. They Actually, they had the E-Myth Revisited was the original one that I got anyway. And then they had the E-Myth Attorney, Accountant, and so forth. And I read the special one for lawyers. But in a nutshell, what it simply says is uh, if you open up a solo and you open your own shop, unless you hire other people, you're going to be doing all the work, which may be worse than what you had before. because you're doing all the legal work, you need to pay the bills. you you do all the management and you're pulling your hair out. And he said the way to get better is set up systems and control where you bring in a lawyer – to practice law the way you would do it, and you set up all these systems for them, and it gives you time to grow the firm and so forth. So it's, it, it's basically an article that just, or a book, in a series of books that says, grow the firm with procedures and oversight and control and work on your firm, not in your firm, is the theory. And I would tell people to start with that, because at least get your mindset going that it's not just you practicing law anymore, it's a business, and you learn to work more on the procedures and the business than you do just case by case by case. So that would be the first step I would do. I've recommended that book to a lot of people.
1: It's a good book, I, and I know it well, and I, I'm a systems person myself. So, you know, a system can be so something as simple as just a plan that you execute repeatedly. Um, so I think a lot of people get scared by systems, and I think an, another thing that scares a lot of attorneys uh, from turning their practice into a business uh, and running it like one is this fear that they'll admit to themselves that, what they have are products and services and the commoditization of law scares a lot of people. And, um, you know, you look at a background in sales and how that can certainly be an advantageous thing. I write in my attorneys in transition column frequently about highlighting some of those backgrounds, and people will say, well, I am not here to do sales. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a lawyer. This is a learned profession. And, you know, and I agree, and I've been, I've worn that same hat, uh, but now see that we really do commoditize service industry. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I honestly think it helps you be a better lawyer. It helps you be a better professional. If you can be efficient and set up procedures such that when a case comes in, here's what we do and here's certain fundamental guidelines of here's when the deadlines get recorded and here's how often we're going to contact the client, here's the form we're going to use whenever we do this and so forth and so on. Um, it doesn't erase your judgment. I mean, it's still up to you to make the decisions, uh, the big decisions on the case. But you make sure your representation meets a certain standard by saying, here are certain benchmarks we're going to do in every single case. Here's how we do it. Uh, But you're right. There is an inertia. Lawyers fight business. In fact, they may go into law to avoid the business world of efficiency and productivity and commodities. But, again, I've never looked at it as either or. I think if you apply those processes and systems to law, it just gives you a nice standard baseline. You know every case is getting done certain basic things. It couldn't be better.
1: Yeah, I agree. And we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll dig into some of the meat of what you have done. But first, I'll leave you with a little anecdotal story. Um, When I was at a seminar a couple months ago, we heard about big law firm financials and how all the big firms, and we're talking the AMLA 100, they all still close their books out at zero at the end of the year. And in the discussion, uh, we had brought up and were discussing uh, a rule they have in Australia where in Australia, private individuals can buy shares and buy into law firms. Now, that would be contrary to uh, American jurisprudence where there's a prohibition on fee splitting with non-attorneys, but just to show you how uh, some people may be afraid of business in the world of, of, of that, can you imagine, Tom, um, a private individual saying they wanted to buy shares of your law firm? <laughs> Could you imagine?
0: <laughs> Uh, no, I can't. You're right. It's so contrary to the U.S. and I can't imagine it ever happening. Uh, it'd be something to think about, though. I'm not sure I'd want it, but yeah, definitely open up the door, that's for sure. So you
1: know, that's not you know, not necessarily where we need to go uh, with today's discussion about practice management. Again, we just want to, you know, f- talk a little bit more about how we can take smaller practices and continue to grow them uh, and do so with a plan and following a plan. And so it's all good. We'll be right back with Tom. We're going to pause for a quick uh, message break from our commercial sponsors. And our first commercial sponsor of the day is the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Your business may be exposed to liability if your marketing materials and slogans infringe on another's intellectual property. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity and guard against trademark infringement, call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting www.nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. The Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme is there to help you with your advertising copy review. Get in touch with Nancy today by visiting www.nkdlaw.com. And our second commercial sponsor is Steve Fretzen and Sales Results. If you're an attorney who's struggling with developing your book of business, try calling Sales Results. For over six years, Sales Results has been helping attorneys to double or even triple their books through their business development coaching programs. You can get a hold of Steve Fretzen and his group at area code 847-317-1575. Again, that's area code 847-317-1575, or visit them online at www salesresultsincorporated.com. I'm sorry, inc.com, com. Now, as we get back to our Law Talk Radio program, we do encourage our listeners to call in if they have any questions. Dial 917-889-9732, then press Option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. And we are going to go ahead and say hello to one of our guests right now, who I believe is a fan, another fan of the EMIS series. Jim, how are you today? <laughs> Uh, Nick, I'm doing absolutely wonderful, and uh, it's been very interesting to hear what Tom has to say. And, and as you know, I am uh, quite a fan of the E Myth series, especially the E Myth for attorneys. Um, <clears throat> and I kind of wish there was books like that around when I started practicing back in the dark ages. But uh, absolutely good information that Tom's putting out. I hope every lawyer out there is listening, and everyone will uh, tune in later and listen to what he has to say.
0: Thank you, right, Tom. Thank you.
1: Uh, Jim, you know, in the meantime, you can always uh, share the link to the show that you find with other people, and I know that we both do that uh, often. So we're going to drive back in here with Tom. All right, let's talk a little bit about some of the finer uh, points, things that you have developed as tips over the time of growth period. Let me first ask you, from what point uh, until now, how long has it been that you have been working your uh, management capacity at your firm?
0: Uh, at this particular firm, I opened up my own firm in 2002, so that's been about nine years. Um, okay. And the reason I said before that I was at a very small firm, I joined. It was a, a husband and a wife, and we grew that up to one point, fifteen, sixteen attorneys. And um, I was a partner there and had a big role in that. Meaning I was, you know, so I started doing a lot of the kind of business ideas and the procedure stuff there. Such that when I opened my own firm in 2002, I had a pretty good idea. You know, it's finally my chance to do my own thing, but I'd kind of done a lot of these things before and knew on it. So I've actually probably since 96 or so, I've been kind of doing management, totally on my own since 2002, but really since 1996 uh, managing small firms.
1: All right. Well, so you have been – you've likely seen uh, most of the things that people are likely to come across. So let's start with – first talk a little bit about employees, um, finding employees, keeping employees. So much work goes into training employees. Um, But then, again, you want to make sure that you're balancing that with systems and and different things. So give us your thoughts, if you could, on on employee and staff management.
0: Sure. The first thing that's real important for doing a small firm that I've noticed is I would read tons of books. I read a book by Jack Welch. Uh, He had a great book about management and all the great employee books. But one thing that's hard from a small firm is you can't always manage it the way a big firm or a big company is organized. Uh, they will tell you for example that uh Jack Welch is a key person who would say, for example, you know, you look at you rank your people in the bottom ten percent you just cut them and you know if someone hasn't caught on and you leave. And when you've got a big organization with thousands of people, you can do that. Uh there's plenty of other people to do the work and you've got resources and time. When you're managing a firm that's four or five attorneys or even six or seven and you lose an attorney and you're gonna replace someone that's a huge issue. I mean, that's just, uh, you know, that's 20% of your lawyers, so to speak, and all those court dates need to be covered. You don't have hundreds of attorneys to go to. You only have three or four more. So right off the bat, um, you're not in the same position. You have the same flexibility as a big organization. So what you need to do is when you're first hiring, you need to be very careful to bring someone in. It's better to spend a little more time to bring in the right person. Um, you just have less maneuvering once they get on board. And then the training is just really important, and you tend to give people more chances at a small firm just because Again, the turnover, even asking them to leave, if they're really bad, you're going to ask them to leave. But if they're something you can work with and try to improve, you're going to do it more because the transition costs or the transition of you know getting rid of someone and bring someone in is really a lot more hard on a small firm. What I've always found is, and you saw some of the tips you would pointed out before, was one of the things that I like doing right off the bat is a lot of contact with the employees, especially attorneys, um, just because at the end of the day, using this e system, which is, the way I look at it is I'm bringing lawyers in, I've been doing this longer, I, you know, my name's on the door, I know exactly how things want to be done, I don't want to meddle or do the work for them, but I don't want there to be any doubt as to how we do things, and they learn how to do it the way that I've learned through years and years, not just because it's my style, but it's what I've learned from years and years before I opened my firm making mistakes. So what I do is uh, several things in that regard. We have quarterly reviews. Uh, what I want to do is I don't want to just meet with someone once a year for a big, long, drawn-out review process. I don't want to do it every six months. But what I do is every three months, we're going to sit down and talk to every member of the firm. Now, we've got about 10 people here, 12 people here. It takes a little bit of time. But sometimes, if things are going well and there's no big issues, you may be done in five minutes. Other times, it may take time. But the value of it is I just keep a running list for each person of things that aren't urgent that I want to talk to them about. And I know I'm going to see them in March, you know, July, September, and December. I'm going to be able to bring up these issues. They won't stew. They won't fester. It gives them an opportunity. I can cut off any problems from their angle. Uh, And as things change quicker, so one of the things I do is, you know, very quick quarterly reviews, and it just is beneficial to be a lot of feedback back and forth. You're kind of taking little timeouts every quarter to talk to someone. That just helps you spot issues and give feedback a lot quicker.
1: Mm -hmm. When you do that, do you talk about, uh, profitability uh, or do you, you know, I mean, how close do you come to, um, I suppose, with motivating people Uh one of the things that I think about sometimes is giving people in the organization a bump up or, or you know, a raise here and then or, so, or different responsibilities. So is it more performance and uh, meeting work expectations or billing or what are the typical things you talk about?
0: Well, first thing I start out with real quick is it's profitability and it's also not. What I mean by that is this. I've got. If I see someone go to trial in a case, we do contingency fee work. If they work hard, they bust their butt, but it's just a tough case and they lose, I'll never bust their chops on it because I've been there, I've lost cases. Any person with your lawyers know, you're going to get some cases, don't go your way. That's the way it is. However, if they're setting a process, they're taking too long to do something or not returning phone calls or just inefficiencies there, that type of thing is in their control that we will raise with them. So one thing that I definitely mark is exactly that. Um, every three months I'll sit down and talk to them and say, I've gotten good or bad feedback from clients uh, regarding you. I've seen you do this. I looked at this work. I had to jump in at the last minute and cover this for you and so forth. So really getting into kind of details of how to manage your practice. Because uh, when I give an attorney a case here and he's working and he has 50 cases or so, it's like a little mini law firm, and I'm kind of the overseeing client who looks and says you're doing it well or you're doing it not. Um, I also do like to share a lot of the financials. I won't go into incredible detail with them, but I will tell them that, you know, hey, settlements are down this month, or we're bringing a lot of new cases, or this problem or issue. So they don't get the ins- perception that you know I'm sitting here in this you know ivory tower here with you know, making tons of money when I'm not, or or whatever. And the firms always tell them the solid; they run. But you know, as a result of you're not filing cases, for example, settlements are down, or so forth and so on. So that just helps them. There's a nice flow. I think they appreciate the honesty and the information coming to them. And it helps them. They'll do. I think they tend to respond as adults to that, rather than um, uh, feel that they're just constantly being told a party line without being really shown the real truth of what's going on.
1: All right, this is a very true. I uh, want to give them the analogy of that. This law, the office is a boat, and the boat has a, a hole, and it's called the hole is uh, all the uh, overhead. So the boat is continually sinking. We need to bring in settlements and new cases to keep the boat afloat. And it's so easy for someone who's an associate. Who is especially if they're salaried and just taking home a check, to not think in those terms of the you know, the liability of the people managing the firm in order to keep ahead with all the payroll, especially when you have contingency cases, and you know cash flow is is all over the place. So that's, those are very tough things uh, sometimes for people to talk about. So that's great that uh, that you approach that that way. Another question I have is where. If it's in a small, depending on where you are, um, and maybe I say this is probably applicable everywhere because legal communities get pretty small, even in large cities. Um, your people at your law firm who have a good or bad experience are such important key uh, influencers to those in the community for referrals and other things. Everyone wants to know uh, the dirt on different offices. And just, have you had any uh, problems? or what are your thoughts on sort of uh keeping the lid on chatter that goes on outside the office
0: well i tell you the i mean you read there's a great book there's a guy uh, Joe Gerard have you ever heard of him
1: mm sounds familiar
0: yeah he's a, he's been around forever he wrote a book i think it's some funny name like how to sell anything to anybody or something like that and he he markets himself as the world's greatest salesman he was like a car salesman i think in in michigan or ohio or something and he wrote this book, and it's really practical, and he's just, he's just a maniac. He's just a salesman. He's very good with sales and all that stuff. Pure marketing, nothing to do with law, whatever. And He went through all these things. And one of the things he said, he had a couple that are right on point to what you said, and I read that book, and, and that's another great book uh, for people to read from a business point of view. One of his, he said that you know, when you do well on a case, that client's going to go out, and they've got a sphere of maybe 200 or 250 people that they know that they're going to influence if you do bad. You're going to affect that person. They're going to go tell 200 or 250 or 50, whatever it may be for that person, how bad it was. And you need to get clear to your client, you know, to your your people, your your staff, that, hey, your clients, that will, you know, nothing will either hurt a firm or help a firm more than doing really, really well on a case. I mean, the best way to be a rainmaker is to do good law work. And if you go out and you make clients happy, especially when you're trying to compete with advertising and so forth and so on, people will go to the Internet, they'll go to the Yellow Pages, they'll look at TV, but if their friend says, call Tom or or, or Nick or Joe or whoever, they'll take that more. So it's a great opportunity. So I tell my, my people here is, those are your clients and our clients, make them happy. At the end of the day, if they're happy, whatever the result, whatever the settlement, if you did what they want and they felt that they were treated properly, that's your ultimate win there, and the money will come from that. When you make them happy, that will force you to do a good job and get the money for them. Uh, and, that, and don't you know, and really worry and sweat about each person you tick off, because that's going to counter a lot of good work. Um, and I learned that, again, from the Joe Girard book, that look at every client as just that. It's a great opportunity to send a bunch of people out into the, the community to, to basically go to say good or bad things about your firm.
1: Mm-hmm. Very true. So now what about the other side of the coin? What happens when you have, and let's just say hypothetically, um, you have bring on an associate and you've all made uh, hiring choices that we later think we might have, uh, you know, had the benefit of hindsight. But let's say, for example, you hire an associate, the associate ends up not working out, and they're uh, running around town saying, yeah, that Tom was a jerk and that firm is, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're saying negative things. Um, have you ever dealt with that situation, and uh, or what would your advice be to someone uh, worried about that?
0: Yeah, I tell you, the, the only thing I would say is this. I don't think I've ever had I've never had that situation, and, and partly luck. I mean, I'm not saying we're perfect at what we do here, but a lot of it is, I think, when you bring in good people and you have good systems set up and you train them and you work with them, and there's a mutual respect back and forth. Even people who didn't stay with us long and may not have liked it here Uh, I've had people then refer cases to us, and they just simply said maybe they didn't like personal injury work or they didn't like the pace of the work we did, whatever, and they left. I've always been on good terms. Now, if that situation were to happen, um, I'm a firm believer in being very direct and clear. And if I had heard something like that, first of all, I wouldn't stress too much, because a lot of times someone's bad-mouthing, they may not be getting the influence that they think they are and so forth. People tend to write it off, especially if your firm is otherwise good, has a good reputation. Um, But if I did hear something to that effect, uh, my gut is to, you know, Email, call, respond to the person and just say, hey, you know, I'd like to talk to you about it and just deal with it and say, you know, I really appreciate it. Or if you wouldn't do it or, you know, there's two sides, here's what I did and talk it out. Uh, But honestly, I don't have a a huge, real good answer other than that because I've just never had that, fortunately, and I've never really seen that around. Um, But it would be a serious situation for sure.
1: It is well. It's something that you have to be careful about. And uh, one of the little lines that I know that Jim Thompson always says, I'm going to quote him. He always talks about the director of first impressions. So whether it be the person answering your phone, or your associates, or clerks out in the community, everyone is a director of first impressions on new people. So it's just something I, I, I've asked before, and uh, have been have working, have been working in large metro areas, and also uh, you know smaller areas as well. In my background, um, it's it's been an interesting thing uh, and a lot of people uh, do like, I think they like to talk and a lot of people I think like to complain but I'll agree with you Tom that if your reputation is solid and your work uh, your work will speak uh, volumes over uh, chatter and other things so uh, we're going to top for our second uh, break today and then we're going to be back with more, uh, more information about uh, Tom's experience with growing his firm alright so today for the daily legal news and this comes from Fox News uh, posted April 12th and the title is Top Missouri Dems Endorse Suit Against Healthcare Mandate. The text reads I quote After sitting for months on the sidelines, Missouri's Democratic Attorney General has thrown his support behind a landmark multi state lawsuit challenging the federal health care overhaul. Chris Costner, the top attorney in the state, which last year passed the first-in-the-nation ballot measure against the law, on Monday filed what's known as a front-of-the-court brief in the case before the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. The action involved a bit of hedging. In filing the brief, he did not formally join the other 26 states in the suit. He also expressed support for the health care's law's goal of expanding health coverage and argued that most of the language should be upheld. But Kaufner said the so-called individual mandate requiring most Americans to buy health insurance runs afoul of the Constitution, as well as his state's referendum, and should be cleaved from the law. The mandate, he said, quote, would imbue Congress with police powers rejected by the Founding Fathers and never before permitted by the Supreme Court, end quote. Coster, as other critics have of the requirement have argued, said the administration's reliance on Commerce Clause regulating economic activity is not valid. With the mandate, he said U.S. government is trying to regulate an individual decision not to purchase a product, in this case, health insurance. In other words, the administration is trying to regulate economic inactivity. So, again, a very interesting article that we found today in the Daily Legal News, found that article on Fox News. And our next commercial sponsor, our third commercial sponsor for the day is our friend who's on the line, Jim Thompson and his Get Clients Now program. If you want to get more clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach you need to talk to. Jim Thompson's program is called Get Clients Now, and he'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is a recurring guest on our Law Talk Radio programming regarding attorney marketing. And to learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit their new website at www.lawyersmarketingresource.com. Again, that's Lawyers Marketing Resource, where they bring in all their products and services. You can also check out the testimonials on their site. Law Publicist Communications strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program, and we understand the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by emailing him at jet at midwestconsultants.net. Again, that's jet at midwestconsultants.net. Now, as we return to our program, we want to remind our listeners out there that many of you find our broadcast links in your social networks. Some of them are there because your friends are sharing and suggesting content through their Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn pages. So we want to thank all of you for your support in sharing our programming. Now, back with Tom Simeon. Um, I, again, I'm sorry if I'm pretty Simeon, am I getting it right?
0: Yeah, you're fine. That's totally fine. Thank you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, okay, as we were talking before the break, we have talking a little bit about employees. So let's talk a little bit now about clients. And I know that you were talking uh, to me a little bit before about sending uh, thank-you cards to clients at the end of cases and, and being in touch with clients. So uh, as a management guy at the firm, how have you structured that uh, in some of those systems to everyone's benefit?
0: I tell you, the first thing you need to do is I think you need to understand, I, and I tell my – you start with your employees, and, and we're a personal injury firm. And what I tell our employees is, look, there are certain things we know about every one of our clients. First of all, they had some accident or some injury to them, and they're calling a lawyer. It's a big enough deal for them. They're not just letting it go or not worrying about it. They're calling a lawyer about it. So first off the bat, even if it's a small case to us or it's one of many cases we have – to them, it's a big deal, something they want to call a lawyer and pay us thousands of dollars to do uh, to represent them for. Second of all, the fact that they're calling a lawyer means that they either can't do it themselves or they're a little intimidated or unsure or don't have the time. So you know, not only is it, a, is it a big deal to them, but they need assistance. They want something from us. And what they usually want from a personal injury lawyer is an aggressiveness, a level of know-how and, you know, competence. They just want to feel better. They're up against this insurance company. So I think that everything that every law firm needs to do is look at your typical client. There's just some inherent things and tell your staff, keep that in the back of your mind, you know, what our clients are looking for when they call us. For us, again, it's personal injury law versus something else could be different for a patent lawyer or whatever it may be. And always keep that in the back of your mind. Then as you go through the process, you kind of understand how you should, quote, unquote, be to this client, how often they want updates, the type of language you should use, how aggressive they want you to be versus professional and all these type of things, and that helps you all the way. I do the uh, thank you notes. I do them myself personally during the case. I just have a, a bunch of cards at the Hallmark store, and when we wrap up a case within a week or so, I just write a little thank you note. Uh, and when someone refers someone to us, friends or family and so forth, I do it. As we've gotten bigger, it takes more and more of my time, um, but people love it, and I think there's nothing better at the end of a good case. You know, and They're thrilled at everything. You cement the deal. If the case had some issues on it, you at least send a thank you saying, hey, I appreciated it. You took a little bit of time, and you did it. And it, I think it really sticks out the little handwritten notes in today's Internet email world. Um, so I like doing that. And then the last thing I would do is issues. I, I remember I think it was Bill Gates or someone made a quote once that one of the most valuable things you can have is complaints from some of your customers because they – You never know. You'll never know things need to be fixed or changed until someone tells you. Uh, So when I get that, it's not always fun to do, but I get on the phone myself with everybody has a major complaint or issue, and I talk to them, I hear them out, acknowledge what they're feeling, and sometimes I explain it. Sometimes I don't have a good explanation for it but it gives me a really good idea of what clients are looking for. And that's at the end of the day, it's invaluable. I mean, it that, that tells you how to set up systems, how often to call, what type of information to give them, how to market, how to do everything if you know what your clients want. And uh, when you deal with marketing companies, the first thing they ask you is, you know, who's, your, who's your customer, what type of things do they want? Well, the best way to learn that is in the course of your practice, talk to your clients when they have problems. Talk to them at the end of the case with a questionnaire. Learn what you can and then you can market to them, you can serve them better. It just seems to work pretty straightforward.
1: That's a very good point, and uh, I will agree with you that people don't necessarily bring things out into the open unless you uh, sort of elicit or ask for that, and our recent name change and branding issue uh, came up recently where we were talking to clients about referrals and uh, asking questions about, uh, were you happy with services that we have performed for your firm? Would you be likely to refer? And someone said they tried saying the company name they said a l r p r a but it didn't roll off the tongue and the comment was made I have a hard time remembering what the letters are, and so other people started saying similar things. And we just we were also thinking uh, along the same line that we wanted to use a, a DBA or change things up and be known as Law Published Communications. What we finally ended up with, but choosing different things because people were having a hard time remembering uh, what the name of the organization was. And after we announced that, we had people coming out. For, it's almost as if they had been lining up waiting to say something. So. Um, um, we had a problem that was common with many people, and then we found out about it, and everyone said, well, I didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to upset you.
0: I tell you, and, and that's exactly true. And I tell lawyers, too, just because someone's quiet or silent at the end of a case doesn't mean they're thrilled with you. In the back of their mind, they'd be thinking, oh, I just can't wait to be done with this firm, I'm going to go to another firm. or It's just not fun to tell your lawyer, you should have done this, you should have done that, and so forth. And that's why what I do is, I will come in and say here's a questionnaire I want to know and I assure them I'm not going to yell or scream at anybody but it really helps us get better and I want to hear the good and the bad I still may not get all of it but when you create an environment where you say look I'm asking you for it I'm not you know it isn't going to cause major damages I want the good and the bad you do get some stuff and just as your example points out you know once you get it Others may also think it, but hopefully by going there and creating this really conducive environment to people sharing their thoughts and, you know, sit down in a room, please tell me what you think, you will get it, and that may be shared by hundreds of your clients. And, uh, but you'll never know if you just kind of do your business and you don't ask. You know, they're not always going to just call their busy lawyer and just start telling them how bad they do. I mean, they will if they're yelling or screaming, but even your good clients, it's better just to simply ask them and provide a mechanism for just to tell you.
1: Right. So, and you talked a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about these surveys too. So, the questionnaires that you send out at the end of your cases. How did you come to developing those? And how often do new questions uh, get it added on there? And do you cap the questions and give them a optional short answer part? How do you structure that? And how's the experience been? I
0: think the experience has been great. And I'll tell you, the reason is because if there's bad information, you know. And then you can go back and double-check. And sometimes I'll look and the client just came in with high expectations and they expected a million dollars and the case wasn't worth it or they expected it to be done in two weeks. And I can at least deal with that and realize, all right, maybe not veiled criticism, the client just didn't, you know, wasn't focused. But many times I can tell you right now, the two or three areas that most concern our clients from doing this from year after year after year, which is incredibly valuable. We spend a lot of time trying to address those, and I now know going forward to prepare clients that cases take a certain amount of time and so forth. Um, So right off the bat, they're incredibly valuable both for good and bad cases. For the good, you literally, we have a language in ours that says, you know, you know, we want to share or use your your comments on our promotional materials, web page, and so forth. So people write good stuff, and if you go to my web page, there's just pages and pages of positive testimonials. I just get them over and over and over again. Uh, the form itself, I just ask them to put their name at the top, a couple questions, how they got to the firm, and I keep it real short and sweet, two pages. But I just want it to be very. I don't want it to look like a major assignment or you know tons of work they need to go through. I just have some boxes, you know, were you highly satisfied with about, you know, or not satisfied with about ten different things, location, hours, uh, communication, and then some open-ended ones. Please tell us anything else you want. Would you use us again, yes or no, and all that stuff. And I give it to them right at the end of the case when we're cashing out the case and dispersing it, and I tell them to please be honest and frank or whatever. And then when I go and make copies and give them a few minutes to do it, they do it. Um, and I got the idea, literally, there was a book I think um, – and actually, I'm not sure how I got there's, there's some book I read, like a business book, that just simply said, you know, for small businesses, do this, just ask people. I think some big law firms are doing this and all that. And we just instituted it, and it's just been great, literally, just fantastic. And I keep a copy of every single one, and we put them on the webpage. just a great tool to have.
1: Well, I think that when you're in the business of giving great service, the best way to judge the value of the service you're giving is not by you thinking it's great, but how people are receiving it. And one comment I'll make in addition uh, is that I think sometimes when people send letters or correspondence at the end of a case, if they have different practice areas in their firm, sometimes people are remiss to explain to clients that they also handle other types of cases. So, uh, you know, I talked to someone who did family law, Work in a firm that also had a criminal defense lawyer and also had personal injury. So we, I think, assume that clients know the rest of the services that our firm does. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Uh,
0: you know, I've got the exact same story, even a worse, well, worse for me story. We represented a woman in an automobile accident, and we're personal injury lawyers. And our, our letter had everything said: personal injury, personal injury, and she literally came in, we cashed out her case and all that stuff, gave her her settlement money and all that. And she mentioned, you know, the medical malpractice case going. And she said, oh, I didn't know you guys did medical malpractice. I thought you did just car accidents. <laughs> and to me, you know, again, when you, and I guess lawyers in the field were thinking, well, clearly a person going do both. And I just was shocked. And as you were know, flabbergasted, I'm like, oh, my gosh, she didn't make the connection. I thought, you know, it really doesn't matter that I make the connection. It matters that they do. And so what I did is on our Sorry. business cards, I literally on the back of our business cards I listed our practice areas, and I went through, and I had everybody at the firm. We found a company that does front and back business cards. In the back, now it says automobile accidents, medical malpractice, product liability, mean, about five or six different areas. Just you Third know, to I make mean, sure our web page has it, just to make sure. So I couldn't agree with you more. It happened exactly. That situation happened exactly to me, and we rectified it with the business cards and just being really clear as to what we do. A brochure helps on that too, with all your practice areas listed in the front. But you're right; people don't know what you do unless you tell them.
1: I I I heard of an individual recently who uh is handling the criminal defense of a matter and their theory is when it's done, um, they they they're gonna file a nineteen eighty three case and they talked they even talked to, to the client about the nineteen eighty three case and then the person I said, Does your client know that you're intending that you're gonna take that on? And um the guy says well i'm I'm pretty sure i'm you know i am assuming he c- came up in conversation he, he remembered and, and asked by the way um you know roadmap after this is done, and the client came back he says, Oh, you're firmed that you know question so again we don't uh you know especially with different um you know you say personal injury that may mean so many different things to different people." Family law and domestic relations, naming different things to different people, all different practice areas um, are not necessarily uh, inherent in the description of, uh, you know, what we call our our practice areas by name. So, uh, again, good opportunity. So when you send out your survey, do you have a letter in there that talks about, in addition to your business cards?
0: Well, what I do now is we've gotten so uh, aware of this now that um, whenever a client calls me, And if we turn down the case, we get their name and their information, and we mail them a brochure. And our brochure has all our practice areas in it, so we make sure they know it there. When our clients come in, I give them a brochure. No matter what type of case they come in, I give them another one. I make sure our webpage has it, and our business cards on the back, which they get for everybody they're working with, also has them in the back. So, yeah, in a long story short, I'm, you know, killing it, you know, every way I can to make sure that doesn't happen again.
1: Right, right. Well, another thing is another good tip that uh, uh, some people have said and um, I tend to preach on is put a list of different attorneys and practice areas by your phone so if someone calls in and you don't handle that, you can send it off to a friend because, I mean, my thought pattern on that is if you're spending the time and resources and energy to get this person on the phone, you might as well take the opportunity to make a friend out of that individual and collect their name, email, and maybe stay in touch add them to your list of communications that go out if they're, uh, if they're okay with that, because you never know when, especially if you are in a consumer-oriented practice, you never know tomorrow could be the day that they need you. So why not stay in touch, right?
0: No, I agree. And it's funny. When we can, I, I couldn't agree more. And there's two reasons. One is I tell everyone they cash out, I say, look, you know, be happy to represent you for a personal injury matter, but even if you have another type of case and you just want to talk to a lawyer, it's hard to get one on the line, you may not know anybody, you give me a call. And not only am I helpful to them, and they appreciate that because in today's day and age, a lot of people don't have a lawyer. They like to just bounce something off of. But it gives me kind of first dibs. I can actually then say, oh, that is a case we can help you with. If not, you're right, I can refer it to somebody. And sometimes you get a referral fee. Sometimes you just get goodwill. Sometimes, you you know, you do whatever. And you help the person get to a lawyer they like. You help the other lawyer. They will then refer you work. Uh, so, yeah, getting that phone call and being the kind of person that if someone goes to as a lawyer That's well worth the time and money, exactly what you said, is just making sure they, you know, getting them to call you. That's the way to do it.
1: Exactly. All right, Tom, we're going to take a break and then we're going to get through our last uh, segment where we're going to talk a little bit about uh, morning meetings. So but for at uh, this point of the show, we stop and we give you law practice management resources and then our final commercial break and then we'll be back in our fourth segment and round out our show. So practice management resources, we bring you, come from the Law uh, ABA Publishing, also Law Bulletin Publishing Company here in Chicago, and Law Publicist Communications. First, from ABA Publishing, the title is Educating Children Without Housing, Third Edition. This title addresses the federal educational mandates related to homeless students under the McKinney Vento Homeless Assistance Act. The manual provides innovative strategies for educators and school administrators, state coordinators, and policymakers, as well as advocates and attorneys who play a role in ensuring that educational rights of Children and Youth Experiencing Homelessness. Again, that title from ABA Book Publishing is Educating Children Without Housing, 3rd Edition. And from the Law Bulletin Publishing Company, when you subscribe to the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin and the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, you will receive up-to-date legal news from Chicago and around Illinois. Also, check out the Law Bulletin blog, Attorneys in Transition, which offers advice and tips for those lawyers going through a career transition. It also hosts a monthly career seminar for lawyers in flux in their careers. I am one of the weekly advice columnists published on the Attorneys in Transition site, and I do hope that you stop by and leave your comment at attorneysintransition.com. Finally, from your very own law publicist communications, are your clients and colleagues talking about you? What do they say? Do you need to create a logo, a website, or a brand image? Do you have time to do all these things yourself or does your staff? Maybe you want to hand us the keys and help you make sense of public relations for law firms and businesses. ALRPRA Incorporated Law Publicist Communications is a public relations agency serving lawyers and professional services firms. We put you on the map and get people talking about you and your firm. Please visit www.alrpra.com or search in Google for Law Publicist Communications for more information. And our fourth commercial sponsor of the day is credit damages expert George Finder. Your credit score and reputation are valuable assets. If you suffer damage to your credit score, you should consider your damages. Credit damage expert, George Finder, is an expert who can put a dollar amount on damage to your credit score. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and the attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family law, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn how to spot damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. His website with more information is creditdamageexpert.com, again, www.creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. Now back to our programming. Again, anyone who has a question about one of our shows or a comment may send us a message through the contact portal on our website or by suggesting uh, that they go to Facebook and, ser- and simply search for Law Talk Radio on Facebook. You'll find our Law Talk uh, Radio page where you can then send us a-, a note or drop a line. And we have received guest inquiries doing that, so uh, we appreciate everyone who's taken advantage of that opportunity. So now back to our show. Tom and I were talking a little bit about in the last uh, couple segments about uh, thank you cards and followers with clients now how about following up with uh, the attorneys and people on staff let's talk a little bit about your early morning meetings uh, I remember I had one of these that was only on Fridays at 7:30 a.m. and they brought pizza and different things um, so and I we again we only had a weekly meeting so I'm interested in hearing about the morning meetings and uh, how that has worked out for you
0: yeah you know it's funny when the firm I used to work at used to have a morning meeting uh, every day at 7.30, <laughs> and it was just hated by the staff. And it was, I, I think the, the management there was very draconian. They really just wanted to get everyone there at 7.30 and so forth. And we've just tailored it and adopted it. We moved it till 9 o'clock. Uh, part of the reason I do it is I really do just want everyone there by 9 o'clock. I tell the staff, you can pick your own hours, but I definitely want you there by 9 at the latest. You can come at 8, eight thirty, or 9, but be there by 9, because people expect their lawyer or staff to be there by 9 when they want to talk to them. Uh, so, one, it does that purpose. Uh, but second of all, it's a very quick five-minute meeting, but I'm able to basically go through and say, okay, who's here today, who's not here today? Uh, we have two clients coming in. Uh, we we'll make sure so-and-so covers this one, somebody covers that one, and what room we're using and all that. And if someone's out sick or has a doctor's appointment, it takes a few minutes and allows us to really know for that day who's going to be there and who's not. It also allows us to cover any quick administrative issues. I will literally... And that's part of my theory is just a lot of free flow of information. If something comes up in the day that I want to share or someone else wants to share, and it could be anything, administrative versus case-related, all that stuff, we know we're meeting, so we just kind of put it in a pile, bring it to the morning meeting, and I'll say, oh, by the way, you know, the building people announced this, or someone else will say that. So it really takes about five minutes in the morning, uh, but it gets everybody there, gets everybody on the same page and provides a nice, quick little opportunity to not only check schedules, but just to briefly talk. we set out the day, and um, it just works perfect. Our staff, I think they like it because late starters, it gives them a little incentive encouragement to get here and get started, and early morning, people are already here. They don't mind at all, Uh, so I've had nothing, but really, no one's really moaned or groaned about it at all because I think nine is a pretty reasonable time for it. Mm
1: -hmm. Now, what types of, you know, how organized do you you prepare something ahead of time? Can people put something on an agenda if they want to, or is it just a free-flowing exchange?
0: Yeah, what I do is I actually get a schedule. We Anything, any uh, client meetings, depositions, client meetings, anything of that nature, we put on a little calendar. We have a conference room calendar, and I just have that with me. And I go through and say, okay, we've got this here and there. We just make sure that, you know, we may have two meetings at the same time. We we'll figure out what room or what office everything's going to be done in. Very free flow. So I'll do that and just go through everyone's availability, who's going to be there that day, who's leaving early, that type of stuff. After that, in 99% of the meetings, we're basically done. But I may just come in and say, okay, I want to go over a couple other points, and I may have notes, I may have a handout. Just everyone just sit down. I want to go over something real quickly while I have you here. Um, and so it's very free form. Um, But all it takes is that first minute or so to get everybody on the same page scheduling-wise. You know, no agendas, nothing of that nature. But, like I said, on a few occasions I wanted to, I have brought notes or something or brought a handout for everybody and gone through it all. And it just, I think it just helps build the teamwork. Everyone comes in, they know who's doing what, you know, who's sitting where, who's out and all that stuff, who's on vacation. And it gives a little opportunity for people just to say stuff. Hey, I've got so-and-so coming in. If I'm not here, you know, get this package from them or whatever it is. And if you know you're doing it, it just saves having to email about it, having to make arrangements, whatever. You just deal with it in the morning meeting, and then we're covered for the rest of the day, and we know we're going to do it again the next day.
1: Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that I like about it is it sort of creates this nice team approach where certainly different people within the organization have different roles and hierarchies, but uh, everyone's in there for the same goal, to serve the clients and, and do a good job. So I like the team aspect.
0: Yeah, and I think the only way too is what we do with our firm, and it, and it makes sense that when my partner and I started, is we don't have individual clients as such, meaning that you know there's not Tom's cases and my partner name is Craig, Craig's cases and whatever. We set them up that way for organization, who's taking the lead on them. But from day one, we've always looked at it as firm clients, and that's kind of how I look at the you know the staffing too. We're all members of the same team. We're very uh, there's no hierarchy as such. You know, everybody comes to the meeting, everyone says what they're doing, everyone leaves, and um, you know it's not like only lawyers don't have to go or lawyers do have to go and of that nature There, the staff is just as important to us um, and that's I agree with you um, that everyone wants to you know everyone should know that they're all there to help all the clients you have primary responsibility for some but you're going to be helpful to everybody else and by including everyone in the meeting and, and you know you definitely set that team approach and, and that's really valuable because there's going to be days when you're not available and you need your staff to to cover for you and there's days you're going to have to cover for other people uh, so I agree with you 100%. It just makes us all get together as a team and say, okay, here's what's tech, our day. We have a busy day or we don't or whatever. And it's, just, it's more of a team approach.
1: I, I agree. I think it's a, something that works very well. We only have a couple minutes left. I wanted to ask you, Tom, if you had anything else that you wanted to mention that's practice management-related or advice that you would give to someone who is uh, soon to or not uh, too far into taking on a management role at a firm.
0: Yeah, I tell you, the first thing I would do is this. I would literally decide whether it's something you want to do. Uh, as I mentioned at the very beginning of this thing, if, you, if you're a list person, you're organized, and you like business and spending your time on that, then, yeah, I think you'll actually enjoy your practice more when you can do a little bit of law but also do some of this business management stuff if you enjoy it. However, if you don't enjoy it, and there's some people who don't enjoy it, just aren't good at it, it doesn't come natural, and they just don't care about it, uh, don't force it. You know, there's other people who can manage the firm, and and just go be a great lawyer and a great trial lawyer or whatever type of work you do, and you'll make you know you'll make your money. You have a good career there. First of all, just you know, choose what you want to do. Once you decide you want to do it, my thought would be what we talked about earlier is get outside the box. Meaning, don't be uh, um, uh, kept in check by everything that a law firms have done in the past. You buy your business books, um, buy your your marketing books, and so forth and so on, and try to bring those concepts into the law practice. And, you know, as long as you keep your fundamental ethical duties, which everyone will do, generally speaking, but bring those concepts in and have some fun with it. You know, try to do some marketing approaches some staffing approaches and all these things like that. Um, But just get rid of that whole mindset where you can't do things because you're a law firm. A law firm is a business. Just remember that and try to run it like any other good business.
1: Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more, and I want to thank you for all of your uh, wise comments today and uh, give you an opportunity to share with our audience, again, uh, your name, your firm's name, how they can get a hold of you, and what practice areas you specialize in.
0: Oh, I appreciate it. Again, my name, first name is Tom, last name is Simeone, S-I-M-E-O-N-E. Uh, the best way to reach me is the law firm's webpage, which is www. Uh, dot Simeone, which is S-I-M-E-O-N-E, again, followed immediately by Miller, simeonmiller.com. Um, and we handle personal injury law. Uh, we do a little bit of family law, and I have my business background. I do a little bit of civil litigation, some business disputes. Um, and, you know, so that's the best way. The, the webpage has all the information. If anyone does want to call, uh, we're in D.C. I'm at 202-628-3050. And uh as far as email, it's tsimeone at SimeonMiller.com and be happy to hear from people in any way that, that's convenient for them.
1: All right. Well, th- Tom, I want to thank I want to thank you for uh your valuable time today and sharing uh your practice management thoughts with us. Thanks for being on our show.
0: Oh thank you. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.
1: Okay, great. I also want to thank Jim Thompson for calling in. Jim is always a, a loyal listener and contributor to our program. We'd also like to thank our commercial sponsors out there. We'd like to thank, first, Nancy K. Ducharme of the Law Offices of Nancy K. Ducharme. Secondly, Steve Fretzen and Sales Results, Incorporated. Third, Jim Thompson of the Midwest Consulting Group and the Get Clients Now program. And fourth, credit damages expert George Finder. You can find our archive shows at alrpra.com forward slash lawtalkradio. For archive broadcasts, again, by way of disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on the show does not constitute legal advice, and results may vary based on your facts and location. Communication with attorneys on the show does not give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Programming is politically neutral and objective. Counterpoints to views expressed on our show are always welcomed. Law Talk Radio is produced by Law Publicist Communications. An ALRPRA, Incorporated agency, and Law Talk Radio does not necessarily endorse all of the opinions expressed by guests. Finally, all callers to remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences tips, tools, practice area information, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers of legal services. With our guest listeners located worldwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. Again, this is Nick Augustine
0: for Law Talk Radio, and we thank you for your time.